welcome to another exciting episode of Talking Movies. I am Max. I'm Tim. How's it going, Tim? It's okay. You did something movie-related over the weekend. I did. I shot my first snuff film. How did that go? It. We, we did it. It's done. Now, what kind of snuff film? There was sex, if that's what you're wondering. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, but I mean, the sex and the violence were separate. It wasn't like... It wasn't gross, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, so. But, and then afterwards, <laughs> I went down to Proctor's uh, for uh, an event thrown by um, It Came From Schenectady. Whenever I hear the word Proctor's, I just can't help but think about, like, a proctology exam. I'm sorry. I don't know what the name Proctor's r- refers to exactly. I've never had one. A proctology exam? No. Yeah, me neither. I feel like I should. I feel like... Well, isn't that something they usually do when you're like... When 40? you reach like 40, they're like, oh, now it's time for your proctology exam. I think so. It, it seems like something like... By the time you're 40, it's like, oh, man, if we'd caught this years ago, like, could have done something <laughs> about this. Yeah. Because everybody has in their mind, like, oh, well, I've still got till I'm 40. Yeah. I don't know. Not that I'm, like, chomping at the bit for the proctology exam, but I'm just... <laughs> I don't have insurance right now anyway, but, uh, but yeah, no, Proctor's is a theater in uh, Schenectady, New York. And yeah, there's this, uh, I don't know if we've ever talked about it. It came from Schenectady on here before. Yeah. I don't know. But yeah, it's just, uh, this little organization within Proctor's that has sort of, uh, like cult film events. Yeah. We went, when did we go? I guess it was, it was over a year ago. Yeah. For Lloyd Kaufman. Yeah, we went and saw Lloyd Kaufman and a screening of uh, Toxic Avenger. And Cannibal the Musical. Oh, that's right. And Cannibal the Musical. Yeah. yeah. And then we went another time and saw The Room. Which I... They're doing that again on May 23rd. So if this if you're listening to this before May 23rd... If I can edit it and get it <laughs> online before May 23rd... You should uh, head down to Schenectady or up to Schenectady or wherever you are. <laughs> And uh, yeah, check out check out the room. Hopefully, uh, hopefully Chainsaw won't be there. Uh, yeah, look out for Chainsaw. The last time I went there and saw the room, there was this guy that I his friends referred to him as Chainsaw, I suppose. Which I'm assuming is a reference to the horrible Carl Reiner movie Summer School, where there's these two uh, like splatterpunk type kids and one of them's like call me chainsaw and there's mm. see i thought I it know. was referring to just like the annoying sounds that were coming out of his mouth the entire time that's apt yeah he basically just wouldn't shut up and like you know i get it like you're going to see the room there is that sort of audience interaction going on but right in our ears much They're like sitting like right in front of him just... you know it's like the rocky horror experience like i'm not looking to sit down and watch the room and yeah, everyone be quiet and not to be disruptive. Like, that's fine. But this guy was just so obnoxious. Like, and he was just screaming at the top of his lungs, like, <clears throat> right by, he, well, he was right behind us. Yeah. So he's, it's just literally in our ears. And he's just saying, like, yelling out things that aren't very funny and they're just annoying. And even when we saw Lloyd Kaufman, Lloyd Kaufman briefly brought up SOPA. Yeah. If anybody remembers that. Chainsaw and- was there. 
Yeah. Both of those And times. Chainsaw yells, fuck Sopa, like really like, loudly. And it's like, who? Really, really loud. Like, that was uncalled for. I don't think anybody in this room is like, yay, Sopa. <laughs> like, hey, I disagree with you, sir. <laughs> <sighs> I think Sopa is great for America. It was just really obnoxious. Yeah, and it was preaching to the choir. I was a little uncomfortable watching the room there. And I, I'm, I am going to try to try it again this next time that they're showing it and like it was a weird vibe like I've seen the Rocky Horror Picture Show with an audience a couple times and it's a completely different vibe because it's people who love the movie Mm -hmm. and it's like they're participating because it's like they love it so much they want to like be in the movie and they're very passionate about it and the room Everyone just hates it, and they're very angry about it. But they're also very angry about, like, females. (laughs) And there's, like, this misogynist streak. And, I mean, in Rocky Horror, like, every time Janet comes on screen, like, people yell, like, slut and stuff. But it's, you know, like, but we still love her. (laughs) But in the room, it's just like, you stupid bitch. And, like, you, like. Yeah, every time uh, the, what's her name? Lisa. (laughs) <laughs> who everybody just and they keep yelling whenever like, Lisa comes on screen and and... yeah they they yell like Whore! like Chainsaw like didn't didn't <sighs> let up the entire time anytime she appeared on screen it was like piercing in our ears Whore! bitch <laughs> and I'd never seen the movie before that was my first experience with it <laughs> And, like, I understood, like, I knew ahead of time that, like, I wasn't really going to be able to, like, focus on just the movie because stuff was going to be going on around me. But it was still just, I, I, I don't know. It, it angered me. And I hope I don't get angry <laughs> this next time. But I also hope that Chainsaw is just, he, maybe he's moved far away or maybe he's dead. <laughs> he well, hasn't what, been what's at, funny is, like, both those times we went there, we sat in yeah. similar seats and we should have known after the first time not to sit in the same seats the second time because I don't saw I was there. I don't think he was there the past few times I've gone. And these past few times I've actually sat in the same seat, not the seats we sat in that time, but um, in like the middle row towards the back. Um, I've gone with Steve Nally both times. We saw, well, there was a sci-fi marathon last summer, uh, The Space Beyond the Pines. Mm. Um and that was great. It was like an all day. Th- it was like 11 and a half hours or something and just showed like six sci-fi movies. And and then this past weekend, it was a screening of Suspiria preceded by, I hesitate to say band. <laughs> I'll say, I, I don't know, a musical group pair. A musical pair. A musical pair. Um... <laughs> That's like a clockwork orange. I don't know. Um, a musical pair. Uh, there was this one guy who had two laptops and another guy who had a guitar and a bunch of effects pedals. Mm-hmm. Which sounds horrible, but it was really amazing. And they're called, um, I say Orgasmo Sonore. The guy who introduced them said Orgasmo Sonore. And he said, oh, because they're French. I guess that's how you say it. But sonore is an Italian or sonore is an Italian word, so I maybe I have no idea. But mm. they're they're Quebecois, and this was their first time, I believe, playing in America. The guy who runs a game from Schenectady had seen them at some event in Montreal and was like, "You guys are awesome! You guys got to come down and play Proctors." And um, it was a little weird at first because there weren't that many people there. Okay, I was just gonna ask, <laughs> like, was it was the theater filled up or? Well, I mean, it, 
by the time they never start on time, which is good because like if you're ever running late, mm-hmm. there's like a good like 15 minutes before they start and they usually have a few like here's some trivia questions and we're gonna give prizes and things like that for a few minutes so you know scheduled for seven o'clock like 720 something they like started to play and it was um pretty thin crowd and like the lights went out when they started playing and then when the lights came back up by the time they were done the seats were like pretty full so maybe it didn't really affect them or anything. Maybe mm-hmm. they just kept seeing people coming in and being like, oh, cool. All right. This is a good group. But it was uh, the guy with the laptops. He was basically like, I guess you'd call him a VJ because he was in charge of like, the whole visual aspect, which is like clips from all these different uh, like European movies from like the 60s, 70s, 80s. Project- there was one for like projected behind yeah. them. Yeah. Like they pretty much played in the dark. And um, just on the screen was just um, like all these clips cut together. And he was like mixing them together, like as it went, like live. Did you recognize where all the clips came from? Um, most of them. There were some that stumped me. Hmm. There was a, um, a Lee Van Cleef Western. I don't remember the name of from 67. Uh, there was the, uh, the Case of the Bloody Iris, which is a Jalo that I haven't seen. So I didn't recognize any of that there were a couple of jess franco films i haven't seen yet everything looked great i want to see everything that they show clips from mm. it started out with uh zombie or zombie 2 if you will the lucio fulci film and he was like playing like you know the zombie theme uh, which is he'd pretty much start out like musically it would be like actual themes from movies and then he would just start sort of like jamming off of them and then, like, using, like, loops and things, and, like, it, it, was, it was it was pretty amazing. If you ever have a chance to, like... Yeah, I mean, that sounds everything. great. I, yeah. I really wanted to go with you on Saturday, but I was busy. I I didn't get out of work until about 6, and I, I know you were already gone by then. Um, and then I had a whole bunch of, like, nowhere stuff to work mm. on, so... Like, I got the impression that they'll be back. They seem like cool guys. They were talking to a lot of people in the crowd. I, I didn't talk to them because I don't like talking to people. But um, <laughs> I like as I walked by them, I was like, "Oh, great job!" Like, mm-hmm. that's, and then awkwardly walked away. <laughs> but um, well, one of the, one of them, I guess, only speaks French. But the other guy was uh, talkative with the crowd and stuff. Um, I forget the name. One was the guy with the laptops was N Code, and I forget what the guitarist called himself. But yeah. But anyway, then we had a 15-minute break in which I accidentally paid $8.59 for a peanut butter cup and a bottle of orange juice. Uh, a, Reese, a Reese's peanut butter cup? Not a Reese's. It was like, it was a big one. Oh, okay. Um, it was sitting next to some brownies that were marked $3. Ah. <laughs> I'm not sure how much the orange juice was. It was just Nantucket nectar, but... It was $5. <laughs> Maybe that's what did it. Um, but you assume it's probably like 2 bucks three bucks yeah so i don't know but i mean it did it it was marked local Mm. and when i asked what it was because i couldn't quite tell because it wasn't i don't know it was just this weird like sort of like black and brown thing (laughs) he did mention that it was vegan and gluten-free so there's an extra buck or two right there i guess for some reason yeah it was delicious but I really wish I had made $8.59 for just, like, a snack. <laughs> yeah, that's, like, 
almost the price of a movie ticket. Yeah, it, it was more. I I paid six bucks to go see the band and the movie. Yeah, so. and then so. <laughs> Well, the that money I bad. saved with my student ID, I guess, went towards that. I don't know. But, yeah, I just, I, I'd gotten up really early. I didn't want to, like, fall asleep during Suspiria. So I wanted to make sure I had, like, some sugar-type stuff going on. Although, I'd never seen Suspiria on the big screen before with, like, a good sound system. Mm. I don't think it would be possible for me to fall asleep during yeah. that. It's, I mean, I've only watched it, you know, on my DVD player and stuff. It is a loud fucking movie. Which I didn't realize when I'm not the one controlling the volume. Like, that's... And it was such a... It, I've never... Like, I've always liked the movie. But I don't think I ever really appreciated it mm. until this past weekend. Because it just, like, rapes your face or something. Like, I don't... Like, it just... It is... I mean, it is a totally different experience seeing things on a big screen. Yeah. Compared to... It doesn't even really matter how big your TV is. Right. It's never going to be as big as a movie theater. Yeah. And when um, when the movie theater has that great sound system as well, I mean, it really is just a totally different experience than sitting at home. And you never realize how quiet certain parts of the movie are until you hear, like, all the the music, like, really loud. Mm-hmm. And then it'll just cut off. And there's, like, moments in that where, that are just, like, dead silent. And the crowd at it came from Schenectady can be a little rowdy sometimes. Right. And there were a few moments where people were like snickering and like, not like shouting things, but like, <laughs> you know, just being whatever. Yeah, I can't um, imagine like what the audience interaction would be yeah. in a movie. <laughs> but like there were, <laughs> there were certain moments where just the whole audience was just like. Transfixed. Yeah. They were just so in the movie. Mm. And it was amazing. So how did the, the the image quality look? Was it it was a digital projection? I'm guessing. Yep, of the European Blu-ray. Okay. Um, which, if I'd raised my hand faster, I would have won. I forget what they asked the trivia question. I forget what. Uh... Oh, I don't know. They asked a few. Actually, wait. No, did I? No, I didn't even try to raise my hand. That's oh, right. the the prize was yeah. was the Blu-ray. Yeah, they had. Well, it was a different. I guess they'd four. That event, they'd, like, ordered the Blu-ray and stuff, and I guess first they'd gotten the one that was just the Italian Blu-ray, so, like, no English dub, no English subtitles, mm. so, which wow. I'd still be interested in. <laughs> so they just, like, they had to, like, reorder the one that did have uh, the English soundtrack. So then they were just giving that Blu-ray. Well, you had a choice between, like, the Italian Blu-ray or an Eric Clapton Jeff Beck t-shirt. It's, it's always random. Imagine, things. like, you know, you, they ask you, like, I'm guessing the trivia question was a Suspiria question. It was, I think it was, um, one, I know that one of the questions was, like, name two other films that got, two other Argento films that Goblin did the soundtrack for, and then, like, name, well, that's easy enough. Name two films that at least one member of Goblin did the soundtrack for, and then the other one was, like, it was about Daria Nicolodi. Maybe that was the answer. Oh, it was like who co-wrote Suspiria with Argento and is also the mother of Aja Argento. Mm. And it was Daria Nicolodi. But yeah, so I mean, like they're... Like, I guess if you don't know anything about it, then right, they're like... Yeah. yeah. Now, the soundtrack to Phenomena. 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 Um, <laughs> would you technically say that... Because, I mean, that soundtrack is made up of 
a lot of so many different kinds of bill wyman is on there and yeah um, i think claudio simonetti is solo Claudius, on there right yeah. yeah so i wouldn't know like would you say like he did the soundtrack for that movie i don't know he did opera alone i think <laughs> i don't recall yeah <laughs> so name two other dario Argento movies that goblin did the soundtrack for besides Suspiria. deep red sleepless or Profondo Rosso <laughs> and Non Hosono. Yeah. <laughs> if I wanted to be a dick about it. What about uh, Tenebrae? They're not, I mean, they count, somebody said that and they counted it. Mm-hmm. They're not credited as Goblin, though. It's the, it's like, it lists the names of the members. Because I think there were four members and then one guy left. Oh, uh, okay. So it, it gives so like a the weird three names. Yeah. But really, I mean, it's like, come yeah, on. it's Goblin. Yeah. yeah. Pretty much, Claudio Simonetti and at least one other member of Goblin is... Is Goblin. Is Go- yeah. So, all in all, it was a good time? Yeah. I, someday, before I die, I would love to see Suspiria on film mm-hmm. in a Technicolor print, because it was one of the last films made in the original Technicolor. And, like, there were moments... Because, you know, digital projection, it's a newish technology. They're getting bugs out, whatever. Like, there were some moments that, like, just just looked a little wrong. Mm-hmm. Well, even, um, like, I mean, with a digital projector, it's hard to get, like, the brightness and contrast yeah. right on it. So many, like, on, like, the more consumer end of digital projectors just wash the image out just too much. And, uh, you know, if you, when, if you look at the blacks, you can just see that they're just, like, not dark and they don't have that richness to them. Yeah. Uh, especially when, like, you know, if you're blowing it up on a, on such a large scale, on not such a big screen. Some of those consumer brand digital projectors, you know, they, they work well enough, like, for in, like, the home setting. Because most of the time, your screens aren't as big as, like, a movie theater screen. Like at the, at the Hawk House. Yeah, at the Hawk House. They've got, a, they've got a digital projector. And I think it's a 12-foot screen in their basement. And, uh... Yeah, and that works well. But even that, like, you know, you can still see, like, well, you know, the... That sort of, like, swarm of insects type thing? The, like, the little all the, the little black dots? Um, no, nothing like that. Because that's... Every time I go to It Came From Schenectady, I've noticed that. Hmm. But it doesn't... I mean, that's just part of digital projection, really, like, when they're showing... Well, when you show, like, a DVD or Blu-ray, like, on a big screen, that just... Yeah, well, I mean... So, and, and that's a huge screen. Yeah, like, and part yeah. of the thing is, like, I mean, a Blu-ray is... The, the resolution is 1080. So, I mean, that's that's only 1,080 pixels. So, I mean, there is kind of the point where you're, if you're blowing that image up too much, it's gonna it's just not going to look good yeah. anymore. So, yeah, I mean... Once, once the the technology advances to the point where we're doing like like where like 4k is the standard then i mean that things are going to look way better but we're still a ways away from that i think yeah steve and i had both like seen the movie before and like on the way back up here he was saying how like this is the first time he really like stopped and just like because he knew like what was going to happen and stuff like that he was just like thinking about like 
why people are doing the things they were doing. <laughs> and he was like, I couldn't really figure that part of the movie out. And I'm like, yeah, I never... Like I, I haven't hit that point yet where I'm just sitting like, all right, that person just did that. Why? Just it, like that's sometimes that's a dead end in a lot of Argento movies. <laughs> yeah, and and not just I mean in a, in a lot of movies in general. I mean, sometimes there there is such a thing as movie logic, mm. where but sometimes it's negative though. Like I, it works in Suspiria. Mm-hmm. It's like cause it's a completely like Wonderland type thing. Yeah, and it's uh, it's it's very dreamlike almost yeah and it follows this kind of dreamlike logic in a way in a lot of other films it's just like you will not follow it you'll just be like no that's bullshit yeah i'm out of the movie right now yeah like and from that, that point on you're just that? yeah yeah the thing that gets me <laughs> for example is like if there's like a um say like you and i are characters in a movie and like i'm um, gonna say like you know i'm i'm running into that burning building to save somebody and you're like no i can't let you do that you have to stay here i'm the one who should be going in and doing that and we're friends and then to prevent you from stopping me i'll like crack you over the head and like knock you out and say like you know take care tim (laughs) and i sort of you know then go and sacrifice myself it's just like (laughs) We could we could both go in. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> like, <laughs> if you watch through uh, the show Lost, just yeah. like count how many times characters who are friendly with each other, who are friends, one of them cracks another over the head and knocks them out cold to prevent them from either doing something or stopping them from doing something. It's just wow. crazy because it's just like... I don't think I would ever reach that point where I like, oh, I have to like hit my, I have to hit my friend on the head so hard that he's going to lose consciousness. It's the only way. It's the only way. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like. If, if it's to the point where it's like, that is the only way to keep my friend from doing something stupid. Maybe you shouldn't be that person's friend anymore. <laughs> yeah. But it's just one of those things. It's like, it's movie logic. Yeah. It's like you're trying to make the action on screen interesting so that it's not just a couple of people like rationally talking out their issues <laughs> you know? somebody like, has to hit somebody in the thin man in the the first have you seen the first thin man movie no i haven't seen any of thin man movies right. well there's a, this doesn't really give anything away there's a scene where nick and nora are like in their bedroom do they make an infinite playlist <sighs> all right that bugs me cuz i don't know <laughs> i i I like Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist, and, and I listened to like the commentaries and the DVD and everything. And like the only reason the screenwriter gave for the um, or the person who wrote the book that it was based on, I guess, uh, gave for like naming them that is because like she was a fan of the Thin Man. But like to put that in the title, I it just I don't know. It just really bugs me. Anyway, um, <laughs> so Nick and Nora Charles. In, in the Thin Man are, are in their bedroom and there's a guy holding them at gunpoint and uh, Nick in order to keep his wife from being shot and also to like subdue the gunman punches his wife in the face and then like, pretty much like knocks her out and then like grabs a pillow and then like attacks the guy with the gun 
And it's like... This pillow will defend I, me. It's like, I guess it did just... Like, I mean, if I was holding somebody at gunpoint, like a, a husband and wife at gunpoint, and the husband just hauled off and knocked out his wife, I'd be a little distracted for a second there. Like, yeah. I, but I don't think it was necessary. And... Um, I don't think any other screen couple could recover from that moment, but they they have the charm to do it. I get. I don't know. It was. It's a weird moment in that movie. <laughs> yeah, that, that is bizarre. And she's fine with it afterwards. Like the cops come in and they're like, "Are you okay?" And she's like, "Oh, my jaw hurts a little bit," and that, but everything's fine. <laughs> that is weird. Anyway, so Suspiria was good. Yes, it was, and um, and I look forward to the room. And also, they're having for the seventy fifth anniversary of um, the first appearance of Batman, which is this year. Mm-hmm. They're having a uh, Batman festival. They're showing Batman the movie, Batman, Batman Returns, Batman Mask of the Phantasm, mm. and oh, Batman and Robin, and The Dark Knight. Which is a weird mix towards the end there. That is weird. Because they skip Batman Forever. They skip and Batman, Batman Begins. Begins. And then, I mean, there's also Dark Knight Returns, but like... Dark Knight Rises. Or Dark Knight Rises. But I, I still haven't seen The Dark Knight or Batman Mask of the Phantasm. And I've heard good things about them. They're both fantastic. Or phantasmic. Okay. <laughs> In the case of Mask of the Phantasm. I think Batman and Robin will definitely be well served um, on a big screen. It is a spectacle to behold. It's Because that is a lot to take in. That's, And I think the majority of the people who see it, see it on a TV screen. Yeah. And like sometimes that will affect like if a lot of stuff is going on if it's very it's a very like excessive film yeah and all the frame every frame is just dense with yeah so many different colors and just there's so much detail in all of the sets and costumes and stuff it's like that i don't remember uh i think that's sometime this month or maybe next month i don't recall do you know it's when prob- the it's probably this month because it was may it was okay i believe it was the may issue Detective Comics number 27 that Batman debuted. I believe it was May. And that one might be... As opposed to, like, other ones... I've Other events I've gone to that came from Schenectady, that one might be more, like, family-friendly. Like, people will bring their kids and stuff like that, which yeah. I guess that's how their uh, Godzilla fests are. Which I've never made it to any of those, but I guess, like, at least once a year, they'll have a weekend where they just show, like, several Godzilla movies... And there's a bunch of kids watching, and yeah. that would definitely be fun to go see some Godzilla movies, especially after having just watched the original Godzilla. Yes, which we will now talk about. Okay. <laughs> Godzilla. What is there to say about Godzilla? For most people, I think you know of Godzilla from your childhood. I think it usually starts when you're a kid. And you either see one of the movies on TV or on Or you watch him play in basketball with Charles Barkley on whatever commercial that was. There was a commercial where Godzilla played basketball with Charles Barkley? Yep. Wow. He spoofed it when he hosted SNL. He played with Barney. Wow. And beat the crap out of him. 
because how else could that skit end? <laughs> so, when were you first exposed to Godzilla? <laughs> so you sound like like an SVU detective, and I'm like some little kid. <laughs> like, <laughs> where did Godzilla touch you? Godzilla seemed really nice at first, but um, anyway, um, I'm not sure when. I was little, I had, well, I still have, actually, like a Godzilla toy, which I, my memories of having that toy predate my memories of watching any of the movies, Mm -hmm. which, I think, I mean, the image of Godzilla, I think, like, everyone knows, even if they haven't watched the movies. Yeah. Um, And it's one of the things that, because it is spoofed in so many different things, like, you're, you're bound to have at least seen like some cartoon show when you were a kid or some movie yeah. where they either reference Godzilla or have like a some kind of a spoof of him like uh Bambi versus Godzilla which often makes lists of like greatest like cartoons ever I mean, I mean it's it's funny I've never heard of Bambi versus Godzilla We should pause and you can watch it on YouTube right now it's 1 minute long So Max has just seen it's actually Bambi meets Godzilla. I'm sorry, not Bambi versus Godzilla. Uh, what did you think of that little movie? It's okay. Right. Did yeah. you recognize the music when the uh, when the at the climax? Yeah, it's Day in the Life. Yep, the final piano chord of Day in the Life. Yep, it's unmistakable. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, it was pretty. <laughs> as soon as it started, I'm like, well, I know where this is going. <laughs> yeah. But. Yeah, you know, it's funny. When when did that come out? Um, when was it made? Early 70s, I think. Okay. So that makes sense. I mean, it's very much like Monty Python-esque. Yeah, or like early SNL or like National Lampoon type humor. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. But yeah, uh, as far as watching <laughs> uh, Godzilla movies, way back in our first episode, I remember talking about videos that my parents would buy for me at the Joy Store, mm. which we used to have in South Glens Falls. And one of them was Godzilla versus Megalon, which so many people seem to have seen, like, more than the others. I remember Eric Sheeran had, like, the exact same VHS copy as I had. And uh, which has a really weird cover, because it shows Godzilla and Megalon fighting on top of the Twin Towers, even though they're in Japan in the, in the movie. But it was just because the, the King Kong... Right. Remake from the seventies. Use that on Had the poster. Had him stand, straddling the the twin towers. Yeah, they just like ripped that off for the for the American version of the mm-hmm. poster. But yeah, that's I mean, and that's the Godzilla I grew up with. The later cheesy, friendly Godzilla. Yeah, like at which is great for little kids because it's like you know, like you're a little kid. Anything that wanted anything in the world that wanted to do you harm could do you harm. You're a kid. You've got, like, nothing to fight back with. Yeah. So just, like, the idea that you have, like, a giant monster protecting you. Like, it's pretty sweet. Yeah. And so, like, it's like, all right, well, you know, like, Godzilla is my friend. Frankenstein's monster is my friend. Or, like, the Incredible Hulk or the Thing from, like, Marvel Comics. They're, mm-hmm. they're your friend. Like, Yeah, it's interesting how Godzilla changed over the years from when it debuted in the first film 
in which he, there's yeah. <laughs> nothing heroic or fun about Godzilla, or even at all. much of a character. Yeah, he's very uh, he's very much just like a force of nature. And we're saying he because that's what we say. And like in the original film, it's just it. Mm-hmm. They're like yeah, they never oh, even, it's coming, they never assign him coming. a gender. Yeah, I think later they do start calling him he yeah which leads to confusion with things like oh there's a son of godzilla mm-hmm. well where's the where's it's the where's its mother like what, well what? and in the in the whole way that like the godzilla well part of it actually is there is a sort of somewhat of a continuity from film to film yeah. and i mean there's literally dozens of godzilla films and there were 40 at last count or 40-something. 40 40-something. 40 yeah, I mean, that's crazy. And, like, it, it's gone through different stages over the course of history. Yeah. And different sort of continuities, I guess. It all starts over at, in 1984. Yeah. Right? Where, like, there's, like, the sort of 80s relaunch yeah. of Godzilla. Which I think that movie's just called Godzilla 1984, right? I think it's called Godzilla 1985, but it oh, came okay. out in 1984. Yeah. Okay. Or maybe just the American version was called 1985. I don't know. And I think that sort of ran for just a couple films, and then it was relaunched again in, like, the 90s. Was that with, like, um, Biollante and yeah. Destroyer? Destroyer. Destroyer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but starting in the, in the very first film, I mean, spoilers, if you haven't seen the movie... You should. I mean, we're going to talk about the whole thing. But at the very end of the first Godzilla, he's <laughs> he's destroyed. Yeah, you, it's Ir- not irre- even ambiguous. Irre- irreversibly destroyed. You I mean, see, it's not even like... You see the flesh melt off of his body and... There's just a skeleton, which then, like... Which then dissolves bubbles or disintegrates, and, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, like, he is completely destroyed. In the sequel, um, which I'm going to try to remember what it... Was it Godzilla versus Angu something? Uh, Angara. Yeah. Or Godzilla raids again. Godzilla raids again. Yeah, I think that's what it's called. The American title. Um, let me pull up a list of Godzilla films because this is gonna get confusing. <laughs> Cause, I mean, there are so many different yeah. Godzilla and movies, I mean, this... and, so, and like he's always it's always versus some other thing like when you say megalon i'm like okay now which one is megalon you know yeah and in godzilla versus megalon there's megalon and gigan and a giant robot named jet jaguar oh that okay that's the jet jaguar yeah, movie all right with that yeah. amazing song jet jaguar yeah <laughs> and i had no no idea who ultraman was when i was a kid so i didn't realize that he was just like kind of a ripoff of a japanese tv show called ultraman yeah now i'm pretty sure the jet jaguar story is that like he was designed there was some sort of like a contest and like something. a like an elementary school kid voted, an elementary like, school yeah. designed this character jet jaguar and like that was like the one who won and they like turned that into yeah. the you know the the monster of the of the week essentially not that these were weekly movies but like that's what the series became <laughs> that it was just like every film was like a new monster that he was fighting mecha godzilla Ghidorah. The three-headed monster. Mothra was the one that I always liked when I was growing up. When I, well, they would show them on TNT all the time. Like, before TNT was just, like, cop and lawyer shows 24 mm-hmm. hours a day, they used to have, like, Monster Vision, 100% weird, and, like, 
Saturday afternoons, you could just spend all day watching Godzilla movies, and and they would rerun the cartoon show, mm. which I could never really get into because it was that weird like '70s limited animation kind of yeah, cartoon yeah. show. Um, the 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 sequel to Godzilla, which was made a year after the original, Godzilla Raids Again is the American version, or Gigantus the Fire Monster. Oh. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure in that movie, I've never seen it, but I'm pretty sure that it's like the Godzilla in that, of course, is not the same Godzilla in the first movie. And at the end of the first movie, they kind of say like, you know, there may be others out there, right. you know, and if we don't, if we don't stop using nuclear weapons and testing them, like we could unleash another one. Because that's something that I think there's a bit of a misconception or the origin of Godzilla sort of changed over the years. My understanding originally was that Godzilla was created. He was basically a mutation from nuclear fallout from like either the, the bombs dropped on, dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki or like the testing of them. And that it was like a lizard or a Komodo dragon or something that was transformed into uh, Godzilla. But in the first film, they say that it's like, or they theorize anyway, that Godzilla was sort of happily hibernating or slumbering in this sort of cave of some kind or a pocket underneath the ocean. For two million years. For two million years, back when dinosaurs roamed the earth, which uh, we now know to be false. Well, I don't know. I mean, they say like he lived at the same time as the Brontosaurus. So if we're saying now that Brontosauruses don't even exist, then maybe they maybe they just didn't exist way back then. Maybe they existed in Godzilla times, like two million years ago. Sure. Um, <laughs> so the testing of the of the H bomb, oh, basically opened up this pocket under the ocean, and that released Godzilla onto the world. So I'm not, yeah, I'm not sure what happens exactly in the second movie, but it's a different Godzilla. So I think, like, you know, you could kind of say, like, oh, well, that first Godzilla, he was an asshole. But the second Godzilla, he became more of a hero. And right from that, right from the second movie, he became a hero, basically, because there's another monster that is threatening Japan, and Godzilla sort of shows up to battle that monster. And as the films went on, he became somewhat of a guardian of Japan. Yeah. And he would show up whenever Tokyo was in danger. And uh, and at the end of the film, he would march back off into the ocean with everyone on the shoreline waving, Goodbye, Godzilla! <laughs> we miss you! Because really, I mean, like, and I think the real reason for for the transformation is that, like, the first movie was such a huge hit just a, a I thought you were gonna say downer <laughs> no <laughs> it was such a huge it was a blockbuster essentially yeah i was watching some of the special features and on on the uh, criterion blu-ray and uh they were saying that in 1954 when the first godzilla came out 11 percent of the entire population in japan went and saw it in the theaters wow which is it's a huge number. And I don't know what that would be in, like, American population. Yeah, I like, wonder what, if... What would 11%... I, what, what is our population right now? 
I'm not sure, but I wonder if any any movie has been seen by 11% of the population like when it, in, in a first run. Yeah, in a first run. It's just crazy like thinking about thinking about that. Like a movie that just became so just overnight became such a cultural phenomena. And it must have been so hard to watch for so many of them who just like a decade earlier had gone through all this destruction and like tragedy. Yeah. And there they are, they're going into the theater and like watching it over again. Yeah. And it's funny, I mean like they're even character there's a there's one character in uh in Godzilla who she's on like the subway and she makes like a oh, sort yeah. of offhanded remark like I narrowly escaped Nagasaki and now like there's this giant yeah. fucking lizard like <laughs> like this is ridiculous and it suddenly kind of snapped me into that like whoa yeah this like literally kind of just happened you know for these people it was more recent to them than like 9-11 is to us yeah which is it's crazy to just wrap your head around that and i mean you know the the filmmakers make no question about like yeah godzilla in that first movie literally is just a substitute for the atomic bomb yeah basically and when you see like the 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 shots like after his big attack and we're sort of like panning around the city looking at all the rubble and the devastation and then we go into like the uh the hospital the sort of makeshift uh hospital ward mm. and we're seeing all the kids like uh being tested for radiation and like everyone's just destroyed i mean it must have been very difficult for a lot of people to to see that but i think like in a way because of his popularity one might think like Maybe this was sort of like a way to sort of excise those demons or something. Like, there's this sort of unimaginable sort of horror mm. that so many people went through. It's almost some, it was almost like a national healing to kind of see it sort of manifested in this monstrous form and then destroy him, you know? And to kind of turn it into like like a fantasy almost instead of the harsh reality that it was like all the big superhero movies that have come out in America since 9-11 where they're always like having these huge fights where like they're breaking all these buildings and stuff Mm -hmm. although I mean like that's probably more just like those movies were making money before 9-11 so yeah I mean it is it is interesting and I never really tied those two together but in a way like it really does make a lot of sense I mean, the superhero comic books came out at a time and, and really were popular because of the state of the world then, which was World War II. And there was a real feeling of national pride, which is why you have characters like Captain America and Superman. And, you know, we wanted heroes to rally around and say, like, you know, Superman's behind us. You know, we're going to go fight this crazed madman out for world domination because i mean like and that sounds like a super like a comic book storyline like but that's what was really going on there was a crazed madman out for world domination like destroying the world basically and uh 
and superheroes were a direct response to that. And then now we have this this world where America was, you know, attacked in a way that it had never been attacked before. And then suddenly after that, there's this huge spring of, of superheroes that are... But a different kind of... Like, before 9-11, you had, like... Well, right before 9-11, Sam Raimi had on the first Spider-Man movie. Yeah. Um, because I remember there was the big deal about, like, he had to re- digitally remove the Twin Towers or something like yeah. that, and it was controversial. Um, so he had already, like, set the tone of his Spider-Man movies, which was, like, light and, like, not, like, a spoof or anything, but it, they were they were fun superhero movies. It was a, yeah, it was a bright, colorful... And, like, I think the first X-Men movie had already come out. The first and, X-Men movie had already come out. Now, was, what was... I haven't seen that. Is, was that, like, a, a sort of a fun movie, or was that already, like, the... Um, I mean, it was already... I mean, it was de- it's definitely a lot lighter than something, like... Because now, say, like, superhero movies, like, post-9-11, they're all very serious, because, like... They're heroes, and that, I don't know. Just well, they are, and they aren't. I mean, like if you look at a lot of the Marvel stuff, I mean, because like, like the, the, the new like, Spider-Man movie, well, not the new Spider-Man movie, but like the first of the new Spider-Man, the Amazing movies, Spider-Man, yeah, yeah, which was a piece of crap. That was just like it took itself way too seriously to enjoy mm. on any level. Yeah, and like, and that's like the the, the main criticism about uh, Man of Steel is mm-hmm. that it was just too dark and gritty and too self-serious and like the and i mean like batman is a dark character to begin with but like the the batman movies that christopher nolan did Mm -hmm. they were like the darkest yet right oh yeah 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 definitely and like the avengers movies which again i haven't seen any of them but like this is mostly based on the trailers it's like when i think of the avengers although most of the comics that i read growing up were ones that were like in like my family members basement so they were from like the 60s and 70s so they were like fun comics the, uh, and like very the avengers is very 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 fun it's just a it's a it's a light then they need to fix affair. their trailers because they're always like this is serious this is like an intense situation and, and like, i mean i'll tell you like i i, I saw the winter soldier which I know you're way over the Winter Soldier. Which that just looked depressing. It really isn't. And like part of the great thing about that, um, and I guess I'll say like slight spoilers for Winter Soldier, but it's nothing serious. But like the, the, the character arc of Captain America that he personally goes through mm. in that movie is somewhat of a comment on the way that superheroes have been portrayed in that like when he starts in the, in the beginning of the movie, he's basically an agent of shield which is this basically the government he's like working for the government as like a secret agent and dealing with dealing with like terrorism and stuff and even like his costume is very dark and you know he is sort of he's somewhat lost because he feels like you know this is what i am i'm a soldier and i have to be a modern soldier and that's what a modern soldier is. But he goes through this... this uh, His character arc in the movie is very much like... By the end, he's... Like, I'm, I'm no longer working for any of the governments. I have to be what I am, which is this... I have to be the, that bright symbol of 
America, American spirit that I, I once was. And so like there, you know, he goes through a costume change, which is like, you know, the colors, instead of being like that super dark Navy blue at the beginning, like he becomes much brighter and it's, it's really, it's, it's, it's cool. I like the way that they, they kind of commented on that. But yeah, I mean like the, the Iron Man films, what's so popular about them is that they are, that Robert Downey Jr. is so funny and charming you know okay. and that he's wearing this bright he, he's wearing a bright red you know suit and he's kind of a dick though in a way right he's a, he's, he's a bit because after yeah. like in relation to 9-11 wasn't he the one who was like or that character was like oh all superheroes because of like patriot act type stuff mm-hmm. like we all need to reveal our identities right we can't have secret identities anymore. i don't know if that was in the movies at all well the, well there's um you're referring to the Marvel comic series Civil War, in which uh, it was a miniseries that was back in. Is that one of those ones where, like, when f- it, about five years ago, when it was over, everybody pretends it didn't happen, and the whole like no, 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 Civil, Civil, Civil War was like pretty. Uh, it was pretty huge, and I mean, there's always that element of you know you have to sort of restart stories yeah. in comics because which they really just, bugs. Me. Yeah, I mean, like it, it makes sense to a degree. It's like, well, wait, this guy's not like eighty years old now, so I guess he's got to kind of like do it again. I don't, but. Yeah, um, but the, the Civil War was a story in which, yeah, it was basically a comment on, on stuff like the Patriot Act and like we have to, the government needs to know who's really fighting for us and who's on our side, and you know, so to do that, we need to know who you are underneath the mask. We can't have unknown masked vigilantes running amok out in the world and so like the superhero community in the marvel universe is sort of split down the middle like half of them decide like yes okay like i will cooperate this is the right thing to do we'll unmask ourselves basically and yeah there was like tony stark and like the fantastic four and even spider-man was on like that side of the fence that surprises me because i was under the impression like that like so that would be like Sort of like the conservative side, and I always like would put Spider-Man like on the. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, like it, it's not so like black and white. Like, oh, these are the conservative yeah. superheroes. And also, after nine eleven, a lot of people were like switching sides and everything, and like it got weird. And yeah, and then on the on the other side of the fence, the people who were like, no, we need to be able to operate independently from any government. Yeah. We can't if we're answering to you. Then like that means like you you we can you can force us to do anything that that you want us to even if it's not the right thing to do. And we need to be able to, like, put you into your place when when needed, if you go too far off. And on that side, that you had Captain America, who was sort of, like, the head of, of that, you know, uh, side of things. And I can't remember who else was on that side. It's kind of vague in my memory. But, yeah, it was a really great storyline. Yeah, and at the, at the very end of the very first Iron Man movie... Well, I guess kind of spoilers <laughs> if you haven't seen the first Iron Man movie. I'll get to him someday, but you go ahead. You know, he, uh, like, there's no one knows who Iron Man is through the whole movie. And then at the very end, um, Tony Stark is in front of, like, a whole bunch of press and stuff, and he just says, I am Iron Man. And, you know, there's nothing you can do about it. I'm going to keep being Iron Man. And uh, that's that. And it's, you know, it's pretty it's pretty badass and it's cool because up until that point like yeah superhero movies were it's always sort of predicated on like you know 
who are you under the mask? You know, like in all like the Tim Burton Batman movies and stuff, there's always like the question of like, oh, Bruce Wayne actually is Batman and, you know, and And Vicky Vale doesn't know. The whole flirtation between Val Kilmer and Nicole Kidman. Yeah, that whole thing. And then like, and then the Catwoman thing. Like it's just, it was a storyline in almost every superhero movie. And even in like the Spider-Man movie with like Mary Jane and stuff. She eventually found out, right? Yeah, I was gonna say like they got married, like and uh, and then in the Christopher Reeve Superman movies, same thing with you know, Lois can never know that uh, that mild mannered Clark Kent is actually Superman, and it's kind of disturbing the lengths that he goes to keep his identity secret. He like wipes her memory and shit, and there's like he like at the end of Superman two, I think he like erases her memory. So that she doesn't know that he is Superman. And I've only then seen the first two. And then I think in uh, in Quest for Peace, he shows up to Lois in one scene and says, "Lois, I am Clark Kent," and she's like, "What?" And he's like, "Yeah, I'm I'm Clark Kent. I need to know like I forget what he he needed to know something from her like." that uh, some something personal like i need to know the pin number i'm trying to get it the atm <laughs> some something like um he he had to tell her that he was clark kent so that she could tell her him like her feelings about it or something like that and then as soon as she tells him like you know what she felt he just erases her memory again and then flies away and i'm just like man you're a fucking asshole <laughs> how how does he do that like does he have like a spell like what? he has weird <laughs> powers in the in in those superman movies yeah um like the like his shield that yeah he wraps like he, that guy up in for a yeah, split he, second yeah it doesn't make any sense but anyway um godzilla godzilla yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah so we're comparing it to the like Hiroshima and nagasaki yeah and then so then like you know godzilla becomes somewhat of a superhero for japan in a way in all in all of his subsequent films and the monsters that he fights you could say kind of represent those disasters that always seem to befall japan whether it's nuclear bombs or earthquakes or typhoons or any it always seems like there there's just always something going on Mm. and i actually just read something um yesterday that like less than a week after the bombing on nagasaki nagasaki was hit by like a typhoon that wiped out another 1000 people (laughs) and it's just like man they can never catch a fucking break god hates japan (laughs) (laughs) it's just in like such a tumultuous place on the planet i mean you get because you got that pacific rim of you know there's volcanoes and the tectonic plates are just always fucking rubbing against each other so i mean there there's there are people that are just they're not they're they're very accustomed to dealing with those kinds of national disasters so yeah i mean the images you see in godzilla are very ingrained in just like the the cultural consciousness of the of the people so i think you know the popularity of godzilla it's like it's nice to know that like yeah you've got this monster on your side when Mm -hmm. things look terrible 
and there's a fucking three-headed dragon <laughs> killing everybody and destroying the city like Godzilla's going to show up and he's going to kick his ass for in the in the name of Japan. So it's interesting like I mean the first Godzilla movie like I feel like the the nation needed it to sort of help the healing process and to sort of rationalize the 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 madness of the nuclear attack. But then he sort of morphed into this other thing that they needed, which was the idea of a of a, of a defender. And in this original film, there is, to a degree, like another hero, where because like Godzilla is straight up the villain yeah. in this, and um, he's a very he's not I mean he's sympathetic I guess he's but he's like uh, he's a very dark character. Um, Sarazawa. Yeah. Although in the American version, Godzilla King of the Monsters, I guess he's somewhat jovial. Yeah, um, it, it, it's interesting. Yeah, we, we didn't get a chance to actually watch through all of Godzilla King of the Monsters. I was about to last night, but I watched Godzilla the night before. Mm. And so then I was like, I'm going to watch King of the Monsters. And I sat down and just before I was going to play it, I'm like, I just watched this movie yesterday. <laughs> and like, do I really want to just watch the whole thing again? Because it's it's essentially the same movie. It's just it's got from a different pers- it's just different from a different perspective. So right before we recorded, we kind of skipped skimmed through the uh, the American version, which I we had both seen. Yeah, that before. was that was the first version I'd seen. Yeah, I like saw it growing up, but I have very vague memories of it. Hmm. I think my memories are more from like reading about it later than actually watching it. Uh, just based because like not much was clicking in my memory when we were going through it a little while ago. Um, but yeah, one of the big changes is that like I mean, your core group of main characters in the Japanese version are pretty much like very, they're very secondary in the American version. Yeah, and one of them, Surizawa, he's like the scientist with the eye patch. Uh, in the Japanese version, he is like very very he's a very dark character he's de- very depressed i don't think he ever smiles or no he's very like just closed the world and he's wrestling with this very dark notion that like he has created this weapon of mass destruction essentially and he's struggling with that and doesn't know how to deal with it exactly and then in the american version it's like raymond burr is flying to japan to meet with his old friend surizawa and he calls him on the phone, and he's like, Konnichiwa, Sarazawa. And Sarazawa's like, oh, Steve, you make a much better journalist than a linguist. linguist. <laughs> and he's cracking jokes and stuff, and it's just like, it's such a radical shift in character. And like he's, he is such a tragic... I mean, at the end of the, the film, you know, he like gives his life for the world, mm-hmm. pretty much. Little did he know that just, like, a year or two later, there'd be all these other monsters coming, too. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought about <laughs> at the end of watching, and I was like, ooh, maybe a little hasty there, Sarazawa. But, um, <laughs> but no, if you're it just... It is noble. When you watch the first movie, you really kind of have to just forget about everything yes. that comes after. Because they're so different. Because it is such a different tone. It's not like... You don't watch the first Godzilla for the same reasons that you watch the later Godzillas. You watch the later Godzillas because you want to watch monsters beating the hell out of each other and just destroying everything yeah and they're fun popcorn fare you watch the first godzilla to it's a it's a it's really it's 
more than like a than a than a monster movie, it is like a disaster movie. It's very serious and just it's very dark. My my impressions overall of the movie are just it's it's very it's just such a darkly lit film and the subject matter is dark. Which says wonders for the special effects. Oh yeah. I mean Godzilla looks the best in this film than he does in any of the later films. I mean of the, of that first run. Which I think they all just used like that that same Godzilla costume in like almost everything, and by the end of that of that run, by the time you get into like the seventies, like you can literally see like there are holes in the costume. It's like falling apart, and it just looks like it's just been through hell and back, and it's lit just so much differently. And you don't, I mean, the character of Godzilla, as far as like screen time goes, it's such a very small part yeah. of this film. The effects of Godzilla, a lot of time is given to. And his introduction, like I mentioned earlier, it's so just like casual. Like you expect, like, I mean, this is 1954. This is the same year as them with, you know, the giant giant movie. And like you get that great, like, I think it's about like 20 minutes of the movie. You're like, what is going on? What are these creatures? What's and then like finally like this one character is sort of like crawling across the sand and the camera like tilts up and there's a fucking giant ant in front of her. It's mm-hmm. like, oh. And um and it's like a great shot. And in Godzilla, he just kinda like you see like a little bit of his back mm-hmm. and then he just kinda like pokes his head over the side of a hill. Yeah. And like everybody, you know, freaks out accordingly, but I think, like, part of the shock might be that, like, just, like, because you, you see the sense of scale there, mm. where, like, the people look like ants in this shot. Like, they're so tiny on the screen compared to this just giant. And all we see is just his head, this massive head mm. coming over the, this mountain. And so you're sort of left just realizing, like, this thing is fucking huge. And part of part of it might just be like our familiarity with the character of Godzilla yeah, before yeah. going in. Although I mean, the original like Phantom of the Opera with Lon Chaney, mm-hmm. you know, originally when it was released, it was supposed to be a secret. You're not supposed to see his makeup or anything. But right. now, like even people who don't realize that that's the Phantom of the Opera, you've seen they the... know what he looks like. Yeah. They've seen some drawing or photo of him in that makeup. But still, even in that even great knowing, reveal, yeah. There's that it's one a shot, great shot, and it's just when the the mask is pulled off, and his face is just he has that gasp, and yeah, it's, and then he it turns really around, shocking. you get the reverse shot, and he shocks you again, even yeah. though you've just been shocked by it. And then the great title card, um, what is it? Uh, Feast your eyes, glut your soul on my accursed ugliness. Mm, nice. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm just impressed that you remembered it that was another joy store tape i watched that a lot growing oh, up okay. too <laughs> i was afraid for a second there you're like yes this line speaks to my soul <laughs> i know your pain phantom well yeah but um... <laughs> you don't have a cursed ugliness thank you max <laughs> but yeah you're right i mean the, the reveal of the initial reveal of godzilla is kind of like you'd expect to sort of like First, we see the tail maybe in, in a shot, and then we see like a foot, and then you know, as then we build up to revealing his face or something like that. But and like you think back to like King Kong mm-hmm. when like he just like his face sort of like leans in and like, or I mean the the film that like Godzilla was made because of the Beast from Twenty Thousand Fathoms, which had come out the year before, 
It was an American film based on a Ray Bradbury short story, which I have not seen the film or read the story. I think the story just involves like this like prehistoric creature sort of like waking up and crawling out of the sea because it sees a lighthouse hmm. and it thinks like, oh, I'm not alone anymore. There's another one of me. And it thinks the lighthouse is like another creature. Huh. And then in the movie, what they do is he sees a lighthouse and he wakes up and then he just starts destroying a city. Well, <laughs> <laughs> like, I think they pretty much, as far as like the inspiration for Godzilla goes, they pretty much were just like, oh, giant monster destroying a city. Yeah. And there's a scene where it shows Godzilla like next to like a clock tower, mm-hmm. which is sort of similar to something from that film. But I think that's pretty much like the main similarity between them. The human characters, we have the, uh, there's the love triangle. Yeah. And then there's the older scientist who's the father of the female part of the triangle. Mm-hmm. And then we have that, the young kid, um, whose name I forget, who's his brother washes up on the beach yeah. and his parents are crushed. And so he moves in with the old man, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, aside from, okay, aside from that one character, because he just confuses me, like, the other main characters, they're very, like, well-drawn characters that we care about. Yeah. And it makes it, like, more... Often when movies have love triangles, they, like, go out of their way to, like, make it clear, like, well... There's no reason at all that this girl should be interested in that guy because that guy is. Just, there's no redeeming value to him whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Which um, right, where it's like, oh, I've got this like marriage and you know, to this horrible person, but I don't actually love him. I love you, and you see, like he's overbearing and you know, demanding of her and yeah. all this sort of stuff. And like, spo- spoiler alert for Frozen. Um, Did you finally get? I finally it? I saw Frozen uh, uh, like a few weeks ago, I think. Did you see it in the theater, or did you see it on... I saw it at Gavin's house on Blu-ray. Oh, okay, yeah. I really liked it. It's It good, was right? really fucking great. It's fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, like, uh, for... It's a, it's a spoiler alert for Frozen. Yeah. A good portion of the movie, I'm like, oh, this is one of those movies... Right. ...where you have two nice guys... Yeah, two nice ...vying guys. for the girl's affections. It's like, nope, turns out that guy's that's, a dick. That's probably my least favorite thing about the movie, is yeah. that that prince character turns into just such a cliche Mm. and because she they never want to have the heroine choose yeah and like what i think one film that i can think of where like it's not like that is um sweet home alabama with um (laughs) reese witherspoon your love of reese witherspoon rises again (laughs) and like it's not a great movie but i admire that about it Mm -hmm. because like one of the guys sort of set up like oh he's gonna turn out to be a dick because he's like this like rich spoiled guy right and uh spoiler alert for alabama (laughs) at the very end of the movie she says like you know like you're a really great guy but i'm gonna go with this other guy and you expect him to like have this like spoiled rich brat hissy fit but he's like I understand I love you and I want you to be happy. So if mm. you're better with him, then okay. And you're like, what? Like that. Yeah. And you don't get that a lot in movies. Yeah, totally. And I mean, like it is much more realistic and natural to have like, yeah, like most people are kind of rational, I think for the most part. I mean, or at least not like, like yeah, I mean, love triangles happen all the time yeah. in real life. And especially with like two guys and a girl <laughs> and, uh, you know, not 
and the, most of the time like the, the two guys like aren't like bad people They're, but you know? because of the movies we grow up with we're convinced like well if that guy is my rival he must be a dick yeah. because i'm not a dick and one <laughs> yeah. of us has to be like i remember in high school i kind of or even before high school i kind of had like a crush on like a girl and she had a boyfriend and the boyfriend was he's a he's a great guy and like he's like you know i'm we're not like friends but like we were always friendly and whatever but for like a year or two when they were dating i was just like i hate that guy <laughs> you know so i mean yeah it's just it's funny how your mind you, you try to demonize them yeah because they have something that you want or whatever it is but yeah i mean like in Godzilla, we have these two characters who this girl is sort of torn between. And, like, you can understand why she might not want to be with, like, the broken man, yeah. basically. Like, this is somebody who is, like, physically and emotionally scarred mm-hmm. by things he has seen because of World War Two, And, like, her father is pushing her towards this guy. Because he's a, he's a brilliant scientist. Yeah. And... He's brilliant. He cares about her. Yeah. He's not, like overtly nice but he's not mean or anything he's just stuck in this like mental like prison i, I don't yeah. know like he's just and he and he proves himself by the end to be like you know noble a very yeah he's a great he's a great man yeah and, and he his i i love his whole conundrum in that like he creates this oh, there's sirens he creates this um Godzilla's attacking Glenn Swallows. <laughs> yeah. Now that would be something. Uh. It destroys the CNA building. And... No. <laughs> yeah. What would we do without it? Um, <laughs> just walking down Glenn Street, this giant red umbrella just smashes down in the street in front of you. and That's how you know something's going on. Um, anyway. But yeah, anyway, I mean, I, I love his whole, his whole story because he creates this weapon of mass destruction and he knows that in the wrong hands it could be the worst thing that humanity has ever created the oxygen destroyer as it's called which basically like liquefies oxygen so in like when you drop it into the water it basically just like it just every oxygen molecule it turns to liquid basically and that of course is is a problem in water which is made up of you know h2o that oxygen there and he's saying like you know either i continue my research in secret to the point where i can create something productive out of this and make it so that like it could be used for good or i destroy all my research and then no one has to know about it if anyone discovers my secret and this gets out like i'll basically have no choice but to kill myself because even if all my research is destroyed, like I still know what it, how it works and I can recreate it in my mind. And I don't trust myself to be able to like, keep that in. Like if, if there were governments at knocking at his door all the time, like offering him like, you know, a whole bunch of money or worst case scenario, they just abduct him and say like, give us what we want and just torture him. Like he could divulge that information. And, so, you know, he reluctantly agrees to use it against Godzilla, but he knows that once the world sees its power, it's it's a Pandora's box that, like, could never be closed again. 
this is the only way to put an end to it and make sure that this is the final time this is ever used is that he dies. And so, you know, not only does he save the world by destroying Godzilla, but he saves the world from future uses of this weapon of mass destruction. So in that way, the movie is is a very poignant uh, message about anti-nuclear weapons and weapons of mass destruction in general. I mean, we live in an age where, like, I don't even want to know how many nuclear bombs exist in the world. I mean, can you imagine if in our lifetimes, like, there was a war or a conflict that escalated to the point where a nuclear, another nuclear bomb was dropped somewhere in the world? And, I mean, everything is, like, set up now so that, like, if this country attacks this country, then this country has agreed to, like, launch these missiles against this country. And, like, it just, what would be left? Because, I mean, like, several, if we, like, exploded, like, a nuclear weapon on somebody, I mean, somebody's going to come back at us with one. Yeah. And then... It, it, would, it would really have to come down to, like, like, if, for instance, like, if a country, like, dropped a nuclear bomb on us, I mean, it would, it would, we'd have two options, basically. Either we go to over to that country and, like, hit them as hard as we can with nuclear weapons to basically make sure that they won't retaliate or we don't use them ourselves because once we start throwing them back and forth at each other, it gets, it's, I mean, yeah, like we never should have even, this shouldn't even be a thing that we have to deal with. (laughs) Like what the fuck is the matter with like the human race where, well, uh... I mean like, and for a long time, like I, I was very, certain in my sort of thinking about you know we never should have dropped the bombs on japan like they never should have even been created you know america is horrible for what it's done like of course you know we what was america's horrible for what i mean like well when i like i'm thinking when i was like in high school trying to like sort of when you're first wrapping your head around like this kind of idea and like your sort of national identity yeah because I mean, it was a small group of people who decided to do that. It wasn't necessarily like the whole nation's like, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's do some genocide. Well, and it's it's not just that. It's like you have to put yourself into World War II, yeah. into this like war that like the worst war that the world has ever seen. Europe was being just like torn apart. There was real genocide going on. Right. It was like, and you everyone knew that the Germans had like the, some of the world's best scientists like working on who the hell knows what. And it was like, it was a real arms race to kind of like get the bigger, get the bigger bomb. And whoever was going to get the bigger bomb was going to win the war. Basically. Like if, if Germany had developed the nuclear bomb before us and dropped it either on, you know, on Britain or on America or whatever, like, I mean, the war would have been a totally different outcome. So, I mean... But, I mean, Germany was out of the war, like, long before we dropped the bombs on Japan. Yeah, that, and that's the kind of where, like... It's like, I get, like, yes, we need to develop these things, but as far as actually using them at that point, it just... It, and in my understanding is like it came to a point where it's like we could end the war today basically if we if we drop these bombs or we could 
because at that point Japan wasn't willing to surrender and the war could have dragged on for who knows how many more years but wasn't there didn't we show someone like like a Japanese ambassador someone like hey look what we have and like we set one off in the desert or something and like we can do that to you mm-hmm or, like, if we didn't, I don't know why we'd... Like, instead of actually just killing people, we could have been like, look, this can do this. Do you want us to do that to you? No? Okay, well, then just go away. <laughs> well, then well, they dropped the bomb on Hiroshima, and they were still yeah. unwilling to surrender. People just... People suck. Yeah. I mean, it's <laughs> like... There there was there was no innocent on either side. Yeah. Is, is the thing. It's just like... I mean, like, in Japan, they were, like, forcing their citizens to, like, join the military. Oh, yeah, I mean, like, with, and, they Japan, were, and they like, like, were fucking, like, invading China in the 30s and just all the, like... Yeah, it was <sighs> a whole... It was a, it was a mess. I mean... So, it, it's hard to either justify or condemn the actions. Mm. Because it's, like, really, like, I don't know what it was really like during World War II, you know? I, it's hard to kind of put ourselves into that mindset of like such an uncertain future in hindsight when you know that like yeah oh the war eventually ended and you know we won or not so much we won but that like hitler was stopped <laughs> and the you know the world finally went back to peace it's easy to say like oh well they shouldn't have they shouldn't have you know created atomic bombs or dropped them but when you're in the middle of that seemingly endless but the bombs slot. were after hitler though i mean that was uh like japan though so like i i don't know that was that's such a that's a confusing war to me anyway i don't understand why like it's kind of like to a degree the whole like 9-11 and the war in iraq mm-hmm. thing like oh my god these people just attacked the world trade center let's go to war with these people yeah um, and it's like, oh my god, Japan just bombed Pearl Harbor. Let's go to war with Germany. <laughs> yeah. And it, like, what, what, like, and so, like, why, if the Nazis were all about, like, the master race mm-hmm. and exterminating people who weren't of the master race, I feel like Japanese people are of a different race, and I don't understand Well, I think why. they, I mean, they had, I, I feel like Germany and Japan were in the war for completely different reasons. But, like, if America had been defeated, were they both aware of the fact that it would then be Japan versus Germany? (laughs) It would have had to have been. Uh, Yeah, I think that would have... I mean, I feel like that would have probably been a pretty obvious sort of And, like, maybe I'm I'm wrong in trying to apply logic to war, but, like... I'm guessing it was kind of like, you know, Germany was doing their thing, and, like, Japan was, like, saw an opportunity to kind of, like, achieve what they wanted to do. And so there was you know somewhat of an uneasy alliance between them where it was like you know or I, see i don't really know yeah. what the, what the relationship really was like between germany and japan it is very interesting like i don't know if they were really like working together at all um according to a lot of 40s b movies yes they were mm. it, I, <laughs> like my guess like if i had to just guess right now like it was probably like germany was doing their thing and hitler was doing his thing and Japan was like, well, you know, all of like the the major powers in the world are totally distracted right now. 
Like, so let's wake the sleeping giant. <laughs> let's, you know, <laughs> let's do what we're going to do. I would imagine Germany would be pissed. Like, okay, America was out of this. <laughs> they were actually still trying to get us to, like, be on their side. <laughs> Which a lot of Americans were like, hey, this Hitler guy, you know, what's wrong with him? So after Pearl Harbor, I feel like Hitler might have been like, oh, damn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I... I yeah, I just don't know like what how that all happens. I probably I probably should know. <laughs> yeah, we should. We both went through the school system. Yeah. It's um, um we're about halfway through May right now and uh, I think the 8th grade social studies classes at South High are just about to finish World War 2, so they've got like 70 years to cover in the next uh few weeks before finals well, which good, that, good luck to them that's that's how that tended to work out so that's that's why we don't know these things maybe i don't know yeah and i would imagine that like the the american version of godzilla or when when american audiences saw godzilla 1956 it was probably like somewhat of an awakening to a lot of the american people who you know, from their perspective, like, I'm sure a lot of them realized the horror of what had happened in Japan and, like, realized that it was it was a, a terrible thing. But actually seeing, like, a lot of the images in Godzilla, from an American perspective, looking at, like, the devastation, you could more so imagine, like... Is this what, is this what we did to them? Which, and the American version starts out with, like, the, like... American protagonists like in the rubble mm -hmm. like we start out seeing like our American character like as part of like the victims and everything right so. yeah that is true and I, I mean not to make it sound as if like it's very effective it, the American <laughs> scenes that are edited into it are very poorly done yeah I mean like the not just the fact that like the you can tell it was just made on the on the quick and the cheap yeah I mean the sets are hastily made and the lighting is different and and Raymond Burr is he just seems so uncomfortable I haven't seen much that he's been in. I mean I've seen Rear Window where he only has like a few lines just at the very end mm -hmm. right? and um I've never seen an episode of Perry Mason um, I've seen it on MeTV actually I see commercials for it all the time on MeTV I finally found MeTV I thought I didn't have any more it, it used to be like channel 300 something uh the reason i didn't know is because it's now channel 1245 hmm. i i didn't usually go up that far yeah. but uh there it was so yeah the, the his character steve martin yes <laughs> no relation and he had no idea it's, it's like in the day of the locust there's a character named homer simpson really yeah wow that's amazing and like matt greening said that he named the character homer simpson on the simpsons after his father, whose yeah. name was Homer, but he did decide to go with the last name Simpson because of the character from Day of the Locust, which retroactively affects the way that people read or see Day of the Locust. So. Yeah, Steve Martin, his character, he's the kind of like character that I don't really like from a lot of older films that you kind of see, where he's just like that sort of like emotionless leading man. Mm. He's just so bland and boring. And I feel like there's a lot of movies in like the 40s and 50s and stuff that are just like he's a somewhat decent looking man in a suit and 
he's just like always calm and collected through everything and he's a man of action and very serious and boring it often quickly dismisses <laughs> things that are confusing to him like <laughs> yeah. i don't know what that is must be stupid like, <laughs> yeah so i mean you know he's just not very for that reason alone i mean the the, the american version is isn't as good as the as the japanese version which is interesting i mean in in the japanese godzilla who would you say is the main character i'm not sure i mean it's i think it is more like an ensemble yeah um, I, I, you, if you had I, I to pick one i really one, can't like point to one as like oh this is his, this is his story or her story because like, for for the first like for a good chunk of it, at least, mm-hmm. like you're basically going from like groups of characters to different groups of characters. Yeah, like basically getting like the whole like environment down, and like you get a little like you meet. Uh, I think we really get to know like the older scientist first, mm-hmm. and like see how excited he is when he sees the uh, the trilobite, the trilobite yeah. yeah, or the trilobite as they say in Godzilla: King of the Monsters, which really bugged me. Three winged worm, which is <laughs> <laughs> like a three winged worm. That's what a trilobite is. Doesn't make any sense. Uh, yeah, I mean, if I had to pick one, I guess it'd be like I suck at the names. I want to say uh, Ogata. Ogata, yeah. The other guy. Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, like, cause he's he's the hero who doesn't die. <laughs> so you could be like, oh, well, then he must be the protagonist. But and not, it, but still not really. I mean, like, in the very first scene with dialogue, it's him and Emiko. Okay. We kind yeah, of we then. come in on them, and that like there yeah. there's like their first scene, and they're talking about Sarazawa and whatever, and yeah, it, on the on the Criterion DVD there's an interview with Ogata or with the actor who played Ogata, and he was saying how like when he first got the script he looked at it and saw that like his name was on top he he got top billing and he was like oh I'm the main character, this is great, <laughs> and. uh he said it was like his third film and he so he was young and starting out and he had never had like a leading role before. He was like excited. And then on the first day of shooting, he like went in and uh there were a bunch of cast and crew all already there and he introduced himself. He was like, "Hello, I'm such and such person. I'm playing the lead character." And everyone kind of looked at him like confused and one of the people in the crew was like don't kid yourself you're not the main character godzilla is the main <laughs> character and when you watch the movie like it's like yeah i mean you know I, there is no real main character even in this one godzilla is definitely not the main character because he's such a small part of it really like yeah but he is the he is the kind of thing that like is looming over the whole movie and yeah. ties everything together i mean but he's not really much of a character in this movie in later movies you you even get the um like he'll look towards the camera to a degree, not like necessarily like right at the camera, but he'll have like. I guess it's more of like in the comic, uh, like Godzilla's Revenge, like those type movies, where you almost get the idea that Godzilla is like, "Can you believe what's going on right now?" Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean he gets you know. he gets really goofy. Like there's, but again, it's a different Godzilla because this yeah, one yeah, it is a different Godzilla. Evaporates. <laughs> It was interesting. Um, I I don't know a ton about Japanese culture, mm-hmm. but like I know enough to know that like women are usually, uh, at least in movies, are portrayed as subservient to men, and like that that is true to an extent in this film. I mean, as far as like they're being respectful, like you, like when uh, her father 
comes in. Like the main girl sort of like bows mm-hmm. uh, to him and stuff like that. But um, or not even just bows. Practically, like she basically like gets down on her knees for a split second and then gets back up. But she's still a strong character who like is able to like defy Sarazawa. Like and like she has to reveal his secret to save people and. Um, and, like, she disagrees with her father about, like, should we destroy Godzilla or should we study Godzilla? Yeah. And she uh, and, and she not just disagrees, but, like, openly yeah. openly disagrees and, like, has that dialogue um, between them. And also there's a scene where there's different, like, um, it's like this government meeting about, like, should we let the public know mm-hmm. what we've learned about Godzilla? And, like, there's this, like, group of guys on one side who are like, no. And then there's these women on the other side who are like, if it's true, then we have to tell people. Yeah. Why are we keeping this a secret? And, like, the guys get really mad. Like, there seems to be a degree of, like, how dare you talk you're a woman? Like, because mm-hmm. si- they're saying things like silence or something, like... And, like, the women are, like, speaking up. And, like, I feel like this is probably, I mean, like, for the majority of, like, the world, I think, like, World War II is a big turning point where, like, uh, different, like, um, marginalized groups were, like, wait, why aren't we... Yeah, everyone what? was suddenly <laughs> nearly equal. Yeah. In, in, well, everyone was equal, but, it's I mean, It's like, like, we all just everyone's... went through this huge thing together. Yeah. Why don't we all just be together now? Like, yeah, exactly. But, like, I, I like the way they illustrated that, like, there were women in a culture like that who were like, no, I'm going to stand up for this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, surprisingly well-rounded characters, especially consider- if you've seen later Godzilla movies, <laughs> the human characters are usually like just the most boring thing to have to sit through. And like the, the human drama that's usually unfolding is just like, Oh God, like, stop this go back to godzilla why are we seeing this in godzilla versus megalon you don't even know like do you remember a lot about godzilla versus megalon like as far as the human characters go um there's the kid there's like the kid there's a kid in the typical short shorts that japanese boys wear for whatever reason Mm -hmm. and then there's like these two guys who i guess live together one of them doesn't even get a name in the movie and they're, I guess they're like inventors, they're the ones who make Jet Jaguar. Oh, yeah. But we don't, they're just there. Like the movie starts and it's just, here's these two guys and they have this kid that lives with them. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and then it just like, but that no one cares. Mm-hmm. So, and like, it's almost like if they had spent time developing them, people might've just been like, we don't care. Let's get to the, uh, the Cetopian cult that lives underground and let's get to the giant cockroach and the giant robot. And, right. But it is odd. I don't know. Maybe if they had developed it, it wouldn't be, uh, so gay. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, it's not just like the script that clearly had more time and effort put into it than later Godzilla films. Mm. But I mean, everything about this first Godzilla movie is, you can just tell was like meticulously done. I mean, visually it's the most striking looking of, of the classic Godzilla movies. It's very high contrast. And it's one of the only ones that's, that was in black and white too. I think only the first two were. Yeah. Godzilla and, then and Godzilla, Godzilla versus again. King Kong was the, the first one in color, I believe. King Kong versus Godzilla. Sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and everything, just like the, you see, like the, just the texture on the costume and the way that the effects are done is so much, so much nicer and 
just like the, the more attention was paid on like the trick photography of like trying to make the this the the models that Godzilla was destroying look bigger and more realistic and just everything about it is like much better done. I mean, later they there's definitely a sense that they were just like cranking them out as fast as they could. <laughs> yeah. In preparation for this, I I wanted to watch some other uh, kaiju films, so I, I watched Rodan, mm-hmm. which I had never seen before, and I actually think I liked that more than Godzilla. Really? Have you ever seen it? Um, it's also Ishiro Honda. R- yeah. The director. Rodan is the uh, giant pterodactyl, right? Yeah. And... Or Pteranodon. I guess Rodan is like a shortened version of the Japanese word for Pteranodon. Oh, yeah. That's actually one thing I wanted to comment on. I forgot oh. about was the actual name yeah. Gojira or yeah. Godzilla. I always assumed that Godzilla was like a play on like. Oh, it's a god-like god. lizard, yeah. you know, a giant lizard. But that's actually not true. No. I mean, in the Japanese word Gojira is a combination of the Japanese words for gorilla and whale. So it's sort of like half mammal water creature hybrid giant beast type of a connotation. And that's something that I think they stress more in this movie than in other ones that he's like He's like an amphibious, or he's like a he's like he he he's a dinosaur that kind of exists halfway between a land animal and a sea animal. As I'm thinking back on like the later movies, I can picture him coming out of the water and mm-hmm. going into the water a lot. But do we get a lot of like underwater stuff? I mean, I haven't seen Godzilla versus the Sea Monster. The, yeah, I, I actually have Godzilla vs. Sea Monster on VHS, and so obviously there's a lot more water stuff going on in that we see underneath the water with with the sea monster but i mean you know the sea monster does come out onto land and they fight because it's just easier to fight on land than it is even though they're two sea monsters (laughs) it is weird that like at the end of the of the first godzilla movie when we when they they dive down under and it's it's very sad the way that godzilla is killed because they just kind of like there's there is no sort of epic climactic battle or anything like that or like we have to stop him now before he destroys this it's kind of just like oh we found him he's sleeping down at the bottom of the ocean let's sneak down there and kill him while he's while he's sleeping and so we kind of we go down and he's you know down at the bottom of the ocean just like taking a nap basically and then like he kind of wakes up and turns his head and then before he can even really do anything they they kill him and maybe he was done Maybe he was like, I've destroyed enough things. I'm just going to sleep in the ocean now. Yeah. <laughs> and then he's just like, oh, come on. I was done. And then they just destroy him. I mean, he really is just like, he doesn't know any better. He doesn't know anything about this land, these land people. The last time he was on land, like, there was no cities. Like, Yeah. He's probably just very scared and confused. The poor baby. <laughs> <laughs> and he doesn't even, it's odd that, like, he doesn't eat people. Yeah. Like, he basically is just destroying because he destroys. He's not, like, killing people for sustenance or anything. Or even eating any of the buildings or anything. Well, they talk about how he eats all the fish in the sea. Mm. And they're on the island, and they're trying to fish, and there's, like, there's no fish. And they're like, what's going on? And they're like, ah, it's Godzilla. Because they say that, like, when, in, in years past, when the fish would run out in the sea, it means that 
the beast Godzilla has eaten everything. And to prevent him from coming up on land, we need to satisfy his hunger. So we'll send out a young girl as a sacrifice and then Godzilla will eat that and then we'll be okay. And what was weird about that is like the old man telling them about that legend. I got the impression that that is something that he'd actually seen done like in his lifetime. Mm -hmm. Like it's not just something he'd heard that happened centuries ago. And it's like, that's not really something that should have been happening while this guy in the fifties was alive. Because, like, 19th century, no, I'd like to think that people weren't just sacrificing women to Yeah, it was a secluded island, you know, mm. who knows. Yeah. And, I mean, it, it really was a sea monster that they were trying to avoid. And it seemed to have worked in the past. I don't know. It was very similar to, um, or the, the, the sneak attack part where, like, Godzilla's sleeping and they, um... It was similar to another film that I watched because we were doing Godzilla, uh, The Host, a South Korean monster movie uh, from like 2006, I think. Okay. And um, there's a scene where a girl has to like, she's like trapped in this lair that this giant monster has her in, like deep in the sewers. And she sees that the monster is sleeping and she has to try and like crawl over the sleeping monster to get out. Mm. And like... It's. I went into the movie not really knowing anything. Just like, oh, it's an Asian movie with a giant monster in it. Yeah. And Rumorg magazine voted it like the best horror movie of the year that year. Oh. And like, um, and like I'd heard like a lot of great things about it. And I, uh, I loved how like surprised I was by where it went. <clears throat> and I think, I think you would really enjoy it. Um, yeah, I should check it out sometime. And it's a very character-driven monster movie. Yeah, that's cool. And there, there's a lot of, like, action horror sequences and, like, you know, he's, like, attacking cities and stuff like that. But mm. it definitely, it follows, like, the problems of this one family, like, at the center of this whole drama. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, um, it seems like something that there there kind of is this slight resurgence of giant monster movies happening i think partly because of like they're 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 like the transformer movies that came out which are you know giant robots fighting and in the cities and all that kind of stuff did anybody like those i mean yeah i mean people go see them i heard that i heard that people like the trailers enough to pay a ticket to pay for a ticket to watch the movie Mm -hmm. but did they leave the movie being like i'm glad i did that i'm sure that there are a lot of people who enjoy it I haven't heard any good things about I've only them at seen, all. So. I've only seen, like, half of the first one, and I wasn't very interested in it, so I didn't see the others. But, yeah, I mean, and then there was Pacific Rim, which is the Guillermo del Toro film, which, which I, I was excited about. Yeah, people were really excited about it. It's like, it. oh, it's Guillermo del Toro, you know, he's made some great films, and... It, it's like an original story, which I, you know, is is rare these days, especially yeah. for a big budget tentpole movie. Yeah, I watched it with uh, Jared McDuff on Blu-ray. It wasn't very good. It was pretty disappointing. Very weak acting, and and the script was just very very weak. It wasn't the main character played by like Charlie Day. No, he's not the main character. Oh, okay. He was the only actor in i 
what I remember of like the TV commercials, like it'd be like a bunch of like monsters and action type stuff, and then he'd be like the human face in the commercial. Mm. So I just assumed he was the star. Well, he's like the most recognizable person, probably to oh, most okay. yeah. Americans, anyway. Yeah, it's, the script is just very like all over the place. It gets um, like Ron Perlman is in it in a Guillermo del Toro movie, really. Yeah. <laughs> And at first, it seems like, you know, okay, he's this small role, and he's sort of with Charlie Day's storyline, but so much screen time is winds up being devoted to that whole story, and it seems like the kind of thing where, like, they're writing the script, and they're all, and it's like, oh, this, we should, I gotta write a role in for Ron Perlman, so I'll do, like, this kind of role, and it seems like it was supposed to start off as just a small sort of thing, but... He's sort of like a... He's an interesting character. And so it winds up being just like so much time is spent on this sort of B storyline that isn't very interesting and isn't really... It doesn't really have anything to do with anything. And it just adds to an already bloated movie. Yeah, I mean, you know, action-wise, it's it's fun to watch, but it's not really something that I'd watch again. But now we've got this new Godzilla movie coming out, which the reviews have started to come in on that, and uh, it seems positive so far. So I'm I'm very interested in it. Definitely looks better than the 1998 Godzilla film, <laughs> the last time Americans tried to make a Godzilla movie. And it was people who didn't like Godzilla making it. Yeah, clearly they didn't really care much about Godzilla. I never saw the 90s one. I just I just remember being angry when it was coming out. And I was like, why? Why does this need to exist? And like I'm I'm like I brought this up a little bit last week, I think. Well, like Godzilla, the original Godzilla was like made in response to like the dropping of like the bombs and stuff, but like I'm wondering what this Godzilla is being made in response to, if anything, because it does look like a very serious take on like a like a war situation, but just I don't like. It, but it's a situation that like America hasn't really been through, because I'm assuming that Godzilla will be actually like destroying cities. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it necessarily has to. be in direct response to anything but i mean it's not and again this is i mean it could be like the superhero movies where it's like it'd be it's being advertised in a different way mm-hmm. than it actually is but like the the commercials are, are are all serious right i have yet to see like a like a fun commercial yeah, yeah i mean i don't think it's like, a fun movie yeah i mean i'm sure it's a it's fun in the same way that watching the original godzilla is it's fun to watch but it's not like, it looks like a war movie yeah. Which is why I'm assuming that it's trying to say something about something. Because mm-hmm. otherwise, why are you making a war movie? It's I think, just... I mean, I think, like, if you're treating Godzilla seriously, then, like, that is already there. I mean, because that's what he is. He is the representation of, like, a man-made, created destruction. Right, but it just, I don't know. I mean, I'll have to see it before I can really... Mm-hmm draw any conclusions or anything i mean it is it is kind of weird because there is like that 
like Godzilla is so inherently Japanese. He's like yeah. he is like a purely like Godzilla would never exist if Japan didn't make that didn't didn't make that statement. If somebody think. thinks about Japanese cinema, I feel like the first image in their head is Godzilla. Mm-hmm. Like he's like we we had been talking about earlier. It's just like he is exactly what Japan needed in that moment. I think, and I th- I think like if if that time had come and gone without Godzilla, then like sure there could have been other giant monster movies made. I mean, like you're talking about them or the Beast of Twenty Thousand Fathoms or whatever. But I mean, Japan just like they just inherently knew what it's like to have your yeah. whole city destroyed and by like a, a monster, basically. So yeah, I mean, it is weird when when like you are trying to reinterpret that from an American perspective. Because often in situations like that, America is the monster. <laughs> Yeah. And it's trying to be like, no, 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 no. We're the victims. But like, and me, and again, I haven't seen it. So I'm just going by like the horrible commercials I've been seeing. But I'm excited. I, I, I really do want to see it. And, um, yeah, I feel definitely like watching the original is, is very good. It's a good place to be in your mind going into this Godzilla movie. Because if you if you have questions about who Godzilla or what Godzilla is, like the first movie is where to find the answers. Because that it's Godzilla in his purest form, I think. So yeah, I mean, I, I'm ready for it. Mm. I wonder if it will have like an environmental slant to it, which seems to pop up in a lot of Godzilla movies and other giant monster movies, like the host. The monster in the host was caused by pollution. Mm. Um, actually, Americans in South Korea polluting. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, we're the victims. <laughs> there's a, the opening scene is actually like, uh, it's like 10 years earlier or something. And it's like this American scientist talking to this Korean scientist and saying like, oh, there's dust on these bottles of old chemicals. Why don't you dump them down the sink? And they're like, oh, no, we have to, it says on here that it's a number, whatever, we have to dispose of it this way. And he's like, oh, come on, dump it down the sink. Dump mm-hmm. all those bottles down the sink. And then it's like a few years later, and then it's just like these little like mutations. And then a few years after that, like the actual story starts. Like Nice. <laughs> and then in, in Rodin, um, they actually, that's 1956, I think. I think it was Ashiro Honda, Honda's uh, first color film, but still very effective visually uh, Mm. with like shadows and stuff they actually talk about global warming wow yeah that's i mean that is early yeah and how like it's these people are going into a mine and there's there's been like some floods and stuff and they're like we're going to be getting a lot more of this if we don't watch out because you know once the ice caps are melting and all this stuff and like and that it's causing like prehistoric creatures like rodan to Mm. uh you know like rise up and stuff and if you it's like if the you, warning signs were there, damn it. If you want to be infuriated, watch this uh, new CNN debate with Bill Nye. 
it's not so much a debate. I mean, it is a, it's a short debate, but it was an uh, interview. I think I read about that briefly. But yeah, not he, he went on CNN to talk about global warming, and there was like, it was him and somebody else who was supposedly like an expert on like you know the fact that global warming isn't happening or there's no data to support it. Yeah, and then two CNN commentators, or whatever, they're all on a roundtable. And yeah, I mean, it is just. I only watched like a couple minutes of it, but I was just like, "Oh God, I need to shut this off because it's just stressing me out and making my blood boil." I don't get why people don't like. What do you gain? Like, I understand why, like maybe like big corporations and stuff, what they could gain, but what do like you as an individual person gain in like not believing in global warming? Peace of mind, I think. Um, less guilt. Um, a feeling of security. Um, you know. I guess. If you just ignore the problem, then it doesn't exist. And it won't have a huge effect on where you are specifically until after you die. Yeah. So it's like... So fuck your kids. Yeah. Well, no, don't, don't fuck your no, kids, don't, don't people. Fuck your, don't fuck your kids. Um, forget about your kids. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I mean, like... You know, I mean, Godzilla, he's he's lasted this long because he's able to kind of, like, change with the times, I think. And it's an eternal message, I think. So I, I don't think there's gonna, it's going to be too hard to kind of adapt it to an American perspective because there's there are a lot of things, like, that we're, we're dealing with on a global scale. But yeah, I mean, like it's weird thinking about like even even in America. I mean, you look at Japan and just how many like not even just man-made disasters, but like natural disasters they deal with on like a year-to-year basis. And like, we we've had like big disasters that are tragic, like Katrina and Sandy and things like that. Mm-hmm. And like, and then you're almost you almost feel weird complaining about it, tragic as they were, when you compare it too like what goes on in japan yeah where it's probably like oh really that many people died well over here we've got and it's like well we sorry (laughs) yeah and especially living in upstate new york where like yeah what we've we're all set (laughs) like this (laughs) i mean there's literally like there's no we have no earthquakes we have no hurricanes we have no tornadoes we have no Droughts or mass well, we've had, wildfires. We've, we've, we've had earthquakes and tornadoes, but they've been small earthquakes. Although we're so they don't, close th- we have... at, uh, what is it called? Granville, that if that was ever to go, we would be fucked. Because mm. that's, that's that, uh, what is it called? The Grenville Oregony or whatever, where, um, like, the whole, like, uh, where Pangea split up. Really? Like, that's, like, you can, if you go and look at the outcrop, I, I'm making hand gestures for the microphone, so. <laughs> uh, but you can see, like, where there's, like, different rock formations facing different ways or whatever and like like i went there on a field trip for a, ge- a geology class in school and um they were saying like you know like if, if this one goes <laughs> this is going to be a big one hmm. but it's i mean it's been millions of years and we're good so far so. yeah um i mean <laughs> there are the occasional mudslides hmm. that we get around here especially like up in up in thurman there there are mudslides like just a couple of weeks ago, uh, Kayla was driving. She her family is in Thurman. She was driving home, and literally like less than an hour or about an hour after she had 
drove down this road, like the that whole road collapsed mm. um, because the there's a mudslide underneath it or whatever. Wow. But I mean, you know, it's a, <laughs> it's a disaster on the scale that we've never seen before. <laughs> We'd better make a monster movie about <laughs> yeah. it. Uh, well, I mean, it might be within the next few years that something big does hit here because I mean, like every fall, those hurricanes keep coming more and more north. That is true. And I mean, and Sandy was like, you know, kind of a it was a it weird... was a, it was an eye opener because it was. It didn't really affect us here. Yeah, but like it was like a in, weird atmospheric day. Down in the city, it was... I mean, they haven't seen that kind of thing in a long time. I mean, like, there were sections of the subway that were flooded that had never that had never been flooded since they were created, like, nearly 100 years ago. So, I mean, like... Yeah, I mean, it's definitely... It is, it is scary, because, I mean, we don't know, like, how far things are going to go once... The, once the real effects of global warming really hit, you know. But I, I mean, I feel lucky to live in a place where, like, we're not. There's never that threat of like a tornado is coming and it's ripping all the houses apart, or holy shit, there's an earthquake and everything's destroying, or there's a fucking typhoon that's gonna flood everywhere. You know, I mean, we live in a pretty secure place. Yeah. Yeah, in the winter time it gets, you know, there are ice storms and, you know, power outages and things like that, but most dangerous it really ever gets is if you're driving around during, you know, in, in blizzard like conditions and stuff. Then it can it can be dangerous, but nothing on like a grand scale of destroying an entire city. And then one day after recording this episode, <laughs> yeah, we'll the whole see. city was wiped out. We'll see. <laughs> but anyway, next episode, we've got... A big milestone for Tim. A big milestone for Tim. <laughs> one, of, one of my favorite movies from one of my favorite directors, starring Takashi Shimura, who was in Godzilla. He played the older scientist, the father oh, okay. scientist. He is one of the main characters in a film that also came out in 19, uh, 1954. Big year for him. I mean, like... Yeah. Bada bing, bada iconic. boom. Like, is it also Toho? It was, yeah. The film was also made by the same production company as Godzilla. Toho. Probably one of the other... I mean, it is, like, unquestionably one of the biggest movies to ever come out of Japan. Yeah. And when you said earlier, like, you know when people think of Japanese cinema, one of the first things, one of the first images they might think of is Godzilla. And one of the first directors they think of. is Kurosawa. And when you hear the word Kurosawa, or the name Kurosawa, one of the first movies you think about is Seven Samurai, which is debatably his masterpiece. It consistently makes top 10 lists of greatest films of all time i've never seen it and tim I've, has never seen it i've tried a couple times we'll talk about those times next week <laughs> hopefully i can successfully watch it this time <laughs> so yeah i'm i'm excited to see seven samurai again i've seen it a couple times i think probably three times now 
it's the kind of film that like even if you've never seen Seven Samurai, you've probably seen a story based on Seven Samurai. It's it's just one of those classic tales that has inspired and informed a lot of Western media. The film was, was remade in America as The Magnificent Seven, which is a Western. And it, there's an interesting relationship between the American Western and the Japanese samurai films, and the Italian Western, for that matter. Where, I mean, like, the Kurosawa's samurai films were inspired by the American Westerns of the 30s and 40s. And in turn, his samurai films inspired another generation of Western films. And yeah, the the story of of Seven Samurai has been redone and retold in in a lot of different things. I recently saw an episode of Star Wars The Clone Wars, the CGI animated series on Cartoon Network, that it was about seven bounty hunters being hired to protect a town on this planet from being attacked by pirates, which is the story of Seven Samurai. And it was a really cool episode because the aspect ratio for that episode was completely different from all the other episodes. It was in like super wide screen. And at the, at the end, the it said, uh, this episode is dedicated to Akira Kurosawa. Aww. Yeah. George Lucas himself uh, worked on that series, and he there's there's no uh, it's no secret that he was hugely inspired by Akira Kurosawa when creating Star Wars. But we'll get into all of that next week when we watch one of the greatest films ever made, Seven Samurai. I hope I enjoy it. Yes. <laughs> So thank you for joining us for another exciting episode of Talkin' Movies. I'm Max. I'm Tim. And we will see you next time. <laughs>